Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. It is uh, Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with your Blue Gold Report podcast being brought to you by our good friends over at D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Got lots to do today. And of course, wherever you find this podcast, make sure you rate us and review us and share us with all your friends. Uh, an impressive win on the road as we got a new quarterback here at Notre Dame. Ian Book just dominates Wake Forest and so does Notre Dame. We'll talk about that mini controversy and see where we're heading in the future future with this team and we'll talk about what lies ahead and what could be the biggest game of the season as number seven Stanford comes into town this weekend uh the Cardinals and of course uh the uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish football team we're gonna bring him in right now he's the lead writer of Notre Dame football and all sports over at Blue Gold Illustrated it's our good buddy Todd Burlage Todd how you doing my friend Hey, I'm doing all right rags well that's Um, that's pretty much the best all-around game they've played in quite some time wouldn't you say yeah, absolutely. Finally got off the schneid there with that 20. We talked about, about it last week that they'd gone seven games in a row dating back to last year without scoring 24 or more than 24 points. So they certainly shattered that in the 56-27 win. But yeah, very much a complete performance, I thought. I agree. Yeah, we'll talk about the game a little bit in depth uh, in just a couple minutes. We'll take a look at what's going on with this quarterback situation moving forward. How tough is Stanford? How big a game is this? The outcome, what could it mean? We'll talk about all of that and a heck of a lot more. Uh, And uh, the the Legends Trophy game Todd wanted to bring up towards the end of the show. We'll talk about that. But we start every Blue Goal report like we start you know, everyone in the past. Uh, it is the Blue Gold Nuggets. What do you got for us, Todd? All right, let's start with a little injury news. Nothing too significant, unless your name is J- Jamie and Franklin, then it's pretty significant to you. Uh, he's a freshman defensive lineman for Notre Dame. He His tendon in his quad became detached from the bone. Ouch. That um, hurts so needless, me. <laughs> yeah, so needless to say, he's done for the season. That's going to be a long recovery. He actually hurt himself. He was put in late in the Wake Forest game, making his college debut. So too bad for him. Uh, obviously, lost for the year. Seldom used guy, but still, it, it doesn't uh, ease the pain for him any there. Uh, a little bit of Stanford news on the injury front. A few regulars here. Safety Ben Edwards, wide receiver Connor Wedding, and offensive guard Foster Gerald. All three of those guys are out. Nothing huge news there uh, as far as that goes, but uh, still a few guys that were rotation regulars, so worth a mention for sure. Uh, Moving on, Drew Tranquil, the outstanding student, athlete, community service guy. He has been named a semifinalist for the 2018 Campbell Trophy. This this award recognizes it's a combo of academics, community service, and on-field performance. Drew Tranquil certainly represents all three of those categories very well. He currently leads the Irish with 33 total tackles. That includes three tackles for loss. He was named the 2017 Rockney student athlete, the best student athlete on the football team last year. And he does a ton of work in the community service, just an all-around good guy. He and Tyler Newsom uh, get together and, and really help out in the community. So I would think he has a very good chance of landing that award. This one's courtesy of Eric Hansen, South Bend Tribune. I thought it was kind of interesting and worth a mention. Uh, Mike Elko, who obviously was the pre, uh, the defensive coordinator here at Notre Dame, then chased the money, chased the rainbow there, and went to Texas A&M. Uh, well, he's off to a little bit of a sluggish start. You can't really blame him. Uh, he beat Northwestern State and Louisiana Monroe, 
but then he lost to a couple powerhouses, uh, Clemson and Alabama. How would you like to play those two teams in your first four games? Yeah, so that's Texas no good. <laughs> is two, Texas A&M is 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Mike Elko's defense ranks number 77 in the country. That is four spots ahead of Brian Van Gorder, who is the D.C. at Louisville. And those are your blue gold nuggets. Interesting stuff, to say the least. But that's trial by fire, right? you got to get started somehow. You better do it early than later, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Todd, let's talk about this Wake Forest game real quick. And, you know, we kind of sprung it on everybody at the last second. Ian Book was your starter and pretty much only quarterback uh, for the game heading into it. And it turned out that way. He looked uh, pretty much spectacular the whole game through, pr- pr- winging the ball all over. Over the place. In fact, there was uh, there was time at the end to bring in the, the scrubs, and they didn't bring in Brandon Wimbush out of respect for him. Um, so we got another quarterback who got some time as well. But let's talk about Ian. Um, boy, oh boy, he made every throw. And it when I, the first reaction I got watching the game is, well, was this obvious how good he could be? And if Brandon was holding back some of the skill players on the team, why wasn't it this way from the start, Todd? Yeah, I think a lot of people were wondering that, and we thought that the uh, the way he was using Ian Book, putting him in there in goal line situations, was a little bit disjointed as well. So Brian Kelly said he lost a lot of sleep in coming up with this decision to indeed start Book over Wimbush. Kind of understand where he's coming from. I mean, keep in mind, Wimbush started 15 games for Notre Dame, had a 12 and three record. He was three and zero this year, and, and put Notre Dame in a number eight spot in the country. But again, I mentioned that 24 point streak where they couldn't get over 24. They certainly crushed that. Uh, Ian Book, 25 of 34 passing, no interceptions, 325 yards, two picks, or I'm sorry, two touchdowns, no picks. And for what it's worth, he rushed for three touchdowns and 43 yards as well. So, indeed, it looks like Notre Dame has found its quarterback rags. And I think you're right. Just better chemistry, better everything. As a matter of fact, it was the most points scored in a road game for Notre Dame going all the way back to 2003 when they scored 57 points in a demolition of Stanford out there in Palo Alto. And they just ran the ball at will as well. I mean, Jafar Armstrong looked strong. Two touchdown runs for him. Even Tony Jones Jr. averaging uh, five and a half rushes uh, per carry. But Jafar, I mean, 12.2 rushes a carry, two two TDs. He had eight carries. Two of them were touchdowns. I mean, you can't really uh, fault anybody on the offensive line at all. They did a spectacular job both protecting Ian and getting the big Big open holes. Yeah, career high for Armstrong, the 98 yards was, and, and it was kind of a one-two punch, and we're going to talk about Dexter Williams a little bit later in the show. How do you kind of plug him into this? Can you? Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, you're right. Per, uh, very nicely done, an all-around game. Uh, the defense kept Wake Forest from really hitting its stride in that tempo that we talked about, and then the offense, great balance there. But of course, of course, Rags, <laughs> Brian Kelly isn't budging on this quarterback situation. Uh, it was one of the first questions obviously asked of him in Tuesday's press conference. Okay, so Ian Books is your starter, right? And as a matter of fact, Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated said something kind of funny to him. Uh, he said, look, Coach Kelly, if you thought starting Ian Book was controversial last week against Wake Forest, try not starting him this week. <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty interesting take. But again, BK on the on depth chart, it's either Ian Book or uh, Brandon Wimbush. So he's not hedging on his. He wants to play them both. And actually, here's Brian Kelly explaining the situation. They're both going to prepare the way they have. Look, it's it's important that 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 everybody knows that both of these quarterbacks can win football games for us. That's the most important thing. And so as coaches, we have to keep both of them sharp. You know, that's that's the challenge is making sure that during the week of our preparation that they're both sharp. And 
you know, we got a lot of work to do each and every week to make sure that that happens in terms of making sure that they get the right looks in the red zone and short yardage and third down and long and blitz packages. So it's a lot of work during the week, but we'll make sure both of them are ready. Uh, our offense allows for both of them to operate quite easy within the playbook. So what's installed within our offense, we're not going into a whole new chapter verse, if you will, to uh, play call for one versus the other. You know, this season's broken into um, what's important now. I mean, it's, it's, we don't want to look back. We don't want to look forward. It's, it's in the moment, you know. And so whatever's, whatever's going to get us a win against Stanford this week, if we feel like playing both of them, Every other series is the best thing to win. We'll do it. Please don't say things like that. Oh my god. <laughs> um, well, it would be inter- it will be interesting to see what happens if Ian Book struggles in this game and doesn't move the ball. How quick of a trigger will Brian have? Yeah, it, it, you just don't feel like that's going to happen. But certainly, when you're talking about a Stanford defense versus a Wake Forest sure. defense, uh, obviously a huge improvement when it comes to the Cardinal. But Indeed, you wonder if he's going to try to mix and match a little bit here. It sounds like it, but I just think that's a dangerous dangerous way to go. I think you'd agree. Yeah, well, you know my feelings on all of this. I did like how the <laughs> uh, the tight end emerged a little bit of Wake Forest. Eliza Jones had a nice game, uh, six big catches, so a bit of a yeah. safety net. You know, that's one thing uh, Brandon never did was rely on his tight ends as a safety net. It seems like uh, Ian had that concept down. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, he did spread it around there. I'm trying to see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It looks like ten different receivers yes. caught a pass in this game. If I'm doing my math correctly, uh, yeah, Alize Mack led everybody six catches, 61 yards. They need to get him a little bit more involved in the passing game, and certainly that's a good start. And Boykin too. Let's. I mean, this this kid should be putting up better numbers than he is so far. But again. Uh, Ian's first game. Let's see how it progresses from here. It'd be nice if this offense can take off because gosh, no, God knows uh, Stanford coming in. This might be a weird game, Todd, that we're used to a primetime game, but normally it's two pretty solid defenses going at it. Yes, they both have solid defenses, but for the first time, especially coming off an Ian, Ian's game there, these two offenses can put up a lot of points. Yeah, for sure, and it's pretty interesting to to look at. Now, it it, it does. It opens up a whole new dynamic. Uh, K.J. Costello, he's a veteran starter there uh, for the Cardinal. Uh, he'll be one to watch. Bryce Love, obviously one of the best running backs in the country for Stanford. He's off to a little bit of a slow start. As a matter of fact, in his first game against San Diego State, he only had 29 yards on 18 carries. That's almost hard to believe. Uh, did Did score 148 rushing yards against USC. Didn't play against UC Davis and then hit Oregon with 89 yards. So off to a little bit of a surprising slow start for Bryce Love. But, yeah, you're right. All of a sudden it looks like a matchup of two two pretty talented quarterbacks here when typically this is a real slugfest. Yeah, and Stanford averages at 368 yards a game, um, and their defense has only surrendered 13.5 points. So can we keep up with that offense? And i got to tell you, watching that Oregon game last week, that I mean, I've never seen a team collapse a choke job as much as Oregon did in that second half. That at the When the touchdown got taken back, they were going to go up 31-7, and then the wheels just completely yeah. came off. It was ridiculous. But got a hand it for Stanford. They, they hung sure. tough. They stayed in the game. They put themselves in a position to win and made two huge plays uh, to really turn the tide there. So, you know, you're watching it and you're like, well, do we want them to lose here? It's better for Notre Dame if they win, obviously, but this is such an emotional high. They're going to come in here now. Uh, can they win back-to-back road games with, with a team that feels pretty good about themselves? 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And then uh, Coach Shaw, he does a great job. Uh, David Shaw, he does a great job of keeping his team even. That's something Brian Kelly talked about this week. But I think the magnitude of this game is what's a lot of fun. There was a couple surprising stats that came out that I wasn't aware of. This is the first matchup between two top 10 teams at Notre Dame Stadium since Brian Kelly's been here. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, I know. I thought so, too. You have to actually go all the way back to the Bush Push game in 2005 to find the last time that happened. Another interesting one, Rags. This is the first time that Stanford and Notre Dame have entered this game as undefeated teams, as unbeatens. You have to go all the way back to 1924 since that happens. That's the first time that they even played. They played in the Rose Bowl. Nuke Rockney took his team out there uh, in 1924, actually New Year's Day of 1925, and beat Stanford to secure the national championship. Um, For what it's worth... um, the series history. This is the 35th matchup here. Um, trying to find what I was looking for here. I, when in, t- in talking about Shaw, it's pretty interesting that uh, he holds a 5-2 series advantage. Uh, won three straight in this. He has done such a great job. You mentioned that Oregon game. Oregon was ranked number 20. That makes Stanford 26-14 and 14 versus ranked teams since 2011. Uh, that ties them with LSU at 26 wins. Uh, for second most in the country, wins over ranked teams during that time frame. Obviously, Alabama's first with 39. Um, also, since the, uh, since the year 2000, Stanford has won 90 games, which puts them first among private schools. TCU is second with 77, USC third with 76, and Notre Dame fourth with 74. So this decade, Stanford has won 16 more games than Notre Dame. I thought that was interesting and well. I could go on and on, but, Rags, I just think the magnitude of this game, and I want to get into it here in a little bit. I want to get your take on what you think about this. But to me, this is a must-win game, I think, really, especially for Notre Dame with the way the schedule's starting to shake out. Not as tough as I th- we thought it was going to be. But this is a must-win game for Notre Dame and certainly a pivotal game when it comes to trying to chase down a playoff spot. I would tend to agree there, too. I think this is Stan- this is kind of like one of those games where if Stanford loses but still wins the Pac-12, uh, yeah. they're, they're in good shape. So, it, I mean, it's not as must-win a game for them, although they don't want to get blown out, obviously. But I, you're right. You're looking at the back end here of this Notre Dame schedule couple of those ACC teams we you know we thought would be better are quite not quite as good and I, yeah I, I'm with you this is as much of a playoff game for me as it could possibly be yeah. especially for the month of uh, October and uh, you, you talk about that Stanford and them never being undefeated together yeah, they normally play later in the year though this seems kind of early for them to be playing am I wrong well, it's every other year. They play about this time of the year when it's when they're at home. Notre Dame. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All it's right. always the last game of the year. So, yeah, certainly that factors into that that little nugget there. But, uh, you know, when the season started, Notre Dame had five ranked teams on its schedule. Now it only has two. Yep. Stanford ranked number seven, Michigan number 14. So when you're looking at an 11-1 profile for Notre Dame with what's left here, uh, certainly I think that would be tough. If Notre Dame runs the table 12-0, obviously the Irish are going to go. I mean, there's just you can't leave them out. But I think an 11-1 Notre Dame team with the way this schedule is starting to shake out, I don't know that there's any guarantees on that front. Even though they like the Notre Dame brand, I don't know that this schedule is going to hold up uh, to an 11-1 and when you don't have a conference championship game. Well, if you weren't paying attention, that loss to Old Dominion uh, last weekend yeah. for Virginia Tech does not help Notre Dame at all because that was one of those games you circled saying, hey, if we can get a win there on the road, they're a ranked team, we'll be in good shape. But they lost at home to Old Dominion. Now it might not mean anything. 
Well, keep in mind, too, Rex, five of the remaining eight teams on the Irish schedule, they already have two losses. And three of the four teams Notre Dame has played also have two losses. So you're talking about eight teams on this schedule that already have multiple losses, and that's not doing Notre Dame any favor. Again, a team you want to continue to root for is this sort of surprising Syracuse, undefeated Syracuse bunch at 4-0. That could end up being a much bigger game than I think we ever thought it would be. The thing I love about Stanford is it's it's not, it's high drama, high stakes and high drama. I mean, I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown of some of the more memorable ones to me. Do you remember in 2012 when Kelly, uh, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame needed that epic goal line stand uh, to preserve that 20-13 to 13 overtime win that sent them to the national championship game? In 11 and, two, and 13, uh, Shaw needed November wins over Notre Dame to secure spots in the Fiesta Bowl and Rose Bowl. Um, so big bowl games there because they were able to cap their season with wins against Notre Dame. And then in 2015, Stanford uh, came back with a 38-36 win uh, and then parlayed that into a big 12 championship, Pac-12 championship, and then a victory over Iowa in the Rose Bowl and a number three final ranking. So um, it, it just this this is one of those games where the loser kind of maybe takes a little bit of a nosedive and the winner really continue, typically excels. You know, that 2012 game, uh, some people still think the whistle was blown too soon there. I don't. I think that was a great, the, the right call, and they won that game. And Tommy Reese really bailed them out of that game at home to help them get to the national title game. Yeah, this is one of the best. Uh, I, I enjoy this game a lot, only because of the, the matchup of head coaches, too, Todd. Right. Uh, because it, it seems to me if one guy has an edge, it is Shaw over Kelly. Yep, five and two. Shaw's five and two, and Brian Kelly was asked about that. Hey, you've lost three straight. Keep in mind, Drew Tranquil is the only player that actually participated in that game in the last time they beat Stanford. He's the only player on the roster. That was in 2014. And as far as coaches, only Mike Elston, the defensive line coach, and Brian Kelly, they're the only two coaches that were part of that victory. So Brian Kelly was asked, you know, what's going on? What's your problem when it comes to beating Stanford? He pointed the finger at his own team more than he did anything Stanford does. If you look back on the three games, um, we we had a lot to do with why we didn't win the last two games. You know, you know, we there was 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and we were leading last year. Um, we went into the second half with a 10 nothing lead the year before, and uh, as you know, in both instances, uh, we turned the football over. So, this is much more about us taking care of the football and playing for four quarters. We have a great deal of respect for Stanford and how they run their program, but we we need to play play for four quarters and play good football. And so, yeah, you can you can talk about not winning the last three games, but what we need to do is play better for four quarters. You know, to have to have a home game against the top ten opponent. Um, you know, when you're a top ten team, um, these, these are the moments that you wait for, and. Um, we're uh, we're certain that I think we're going to be met with a with a great great crowd. It should be an awesome crowd out there. Seven thirty, yeah. uh, obviously the night game, and uh, I, that, I can't go. I'm I'm bummed. It's a long story. I got I can't put on the air. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't go either. Rag, uh, yeah. I can put mine on the on air. I have a for some reason they scheduled a soccer tournament in Indianapolis for my for my daughter. So I have to go to that. I know of all the games I wouldn't want to miss. This would certainly be the one, but I don't have a choice. Well, uh, all right. Um, I'm going to David Wright's last game at. I knew. With the were. Mets, so I'm flying into New York. So I, I, I you know, da- darn you, David Wright. Why couldn't you Sunday be the game, and then maybe I can find a way <laughs> to do it, Todd? And by the way, you brought up uh, Syracuse before. I did want to point out if you need an early game to watch, Syracuse 
is playing number three, Clemson, on the road. So a little bit of a rooting interest before the big uh, kickoff for that Stanford game, uh, Todd. So, uh, look, they're huge underdogs, uh, but you never know, right? That's why they play every given Saturday, just like every given Sunday. Beat them last year. Yeah. Syracuse beat them last That's year. That's right. That's right. And and really it took the wind out of that team when that happened. Uh, Todd, we talked about the uh, offense and the running backs here and, and how Armstrong and Jones Jr. are really emerging here. Now we had some mm-hmm. Dexter Williams that was really, really early on in the uh, in the offseason. We talked about how he might be the guy. And then there was some issues. And, you know, is he going to get suspended? What's he suspended for? What's going on? Where does he fit in now with this running back situation? It's, it's going to be interesting because Jones Jr. and Jafar Armstrong, they really have done a nice job, been a, a, an adequate one-two punch. Now, Notre Dame only ranks number 60 in rush offense in the country, so they haven't exactly been you know blowing the doors off of this thing. But you're seeing steady improvement. And I like the balance between these two. Tony Jones Jr., he leads the Irish with 263 rushing yards. He's three TDs and 5.7 yards per carry. Armstrong isn't too far off. He has 245 rushing yards, five TDs and a 5.2 yards per carry. So both the guys over five yards per carry. Now, Dexter Williams, we all know he was suspended, even though they know me saying he's, nobody wants to use the S word in this situation. Well, he was in uniform, situation. too. He was in uniform. So it's like, yeah, well, right. yeah, he was, yeah, he just wasn't going to play. He's right. been, he's been practicing and doing, doing everything with the team, but he just wasn't going to play. He was basically suspended from the games themselves. Um, but he'll be back, and Brian Kelly was certainly pressed. Okay, now what? He he's the only running back of the six on the roster who had four stars next to his recruiting uh, profile. The rest of them were three stars and down. So Brian Kelly was asked, and he does a pretty good job explaining it. Are you going to play him? How much are you going to play him? How are you going to use him? Well, he's been working with us. Uh, he's been practicing. Um, he's been with us. Um, he just. You know, hasn't been up to the level that we want him to. He, he's he's done a really good job. I, I expect that you know this week could be a week that he plays. So, we've worked him through um, our team periods over the last few weeks. Um, you know, whether it be our blitz pickup period or our Skelly period. So, he's ready to play for us uh, this week if he continues to do what we, we expect him to do. Um, where do I think he fits in? I think he's explosive. Um, I think he gets into the second level, and um, he's an explosive back. Um, you know, has he got 20 carries in him this week? Probably not, but you know, I think he can be integrated within, you know, um, you know, a backfield that um, is emerging and getting better each and every week. But I would just to answer your question. I think that explosiveness, uh, especially at the second level, I think he he adds. Um, he adds very nicely to that. It really gives the option to them for fresh legs more than anything else in the fourth right. quarter and third quarter and all that stuff. And don't forget, you got a couple of quarterbacks that are running the ball up and down the field as well, Todd. So if you add them to the mix, it really does give you a lot of different opportunities in the backfield. And that's kind of been Dexter Williams' role, too. You know, he's not he's never been a workhorse kind of back. As a matter of fact, both Armstrong and Jones Jr. already this season have more carries than what Dexter Williams has ever had in one single year during his three years here. So that's always been kind of his thing. Wear the defense down, wear the defense down. 
and then bring in Dexter Williams in late in the game and try to hit a home run with him. And, and that strategy has paid off more than once. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, all right, before we make predictions of this game, uh, let's talk about this trophy, Todd, this Legends trophy, which started back in, I believe it was 89, right? And, and it has yes. every uh, every outcome since 1925 on it. It's got uh, Irish Crystal and Carol, California Redwood. You see what they did there, Todd? It's beautiful. Uh, it is unbelievable. Uh, talk about this trophy. Um, who has it? Well, obviously we should know who has it if we just use our common <laughs> sense, but the history of it and what's going on with it. Yeah, it's been out in Palo Alto for three or four years now. Um, it, it's just I, the reason I brought it up. I thought it was kind of interesting. This is the only Notre Dame has six of these games where they have kind of a traveling trophy, and the Irish hold five of the six right now. Where I'll give you a quick rundown of those. But the Legends Trophy is the one they do not. So the guys have said, Drew Tranquil and some others said, we have talked about it quite a bit. We want we want that clean sweep of all these trophies. And you mentioned it. It's a beautiful. It's a it's kind of a crystal chalice. Well, with California Redwood, and you were right. Uh, it was presented for the first time in 1989. There's like a plaque for the winners. The other one's Boston College. They actually have two trophies for this one, which is a little redundant, shall we say. The Ireland Trophy, uh, which was created by the Notre Dame student government. It was kind of a goodwill and sportsmanship thing. The, no, the football program doesn't even pay any attention to that one. <laughs> but then they had the Leahy Bowl. Well, if you remember Frank Leahy, co- he coached both at Boston College and at Notre Dame. So that's their trophy, the Leahy Bowl, and Notre Dame holds that one. USC, they have the jeweled shillelagh. Um, this thing, it, it kind of, it, it's Howard Hughes' pilot back in the day, apparently brought this thing, This it's a Gaelic war club. It's kind of interesting. He brought it back from Ireland in 1952. This, again, there's a medallion for USC um, that has like a Trojan on it, and then Notre Dame has its medallion, and, and as, as the teams win, they will put the medallion on it. They had to bust out a new one because uh, it was the last one was retired after the 95 season. They ran out of room. <laughs> uh, so they had to bust out a new one. A Navy has the Rip Miller Trophy. Um, he was part of the Notre Dame Seven Mules that blocked for the Four Horsemen. He actually went on to coach at Navy, so he has ties to both schools. And uh, he was pivotal in keeping Notre Dame running. If you remember during World War II, Notre Dame didn't have any students, so Navy started sending people here to campus to train for, for World War II, and that really saved the school in many respects. Uh, Purdue, here's another shillelagh. Uh, this was donated uh, by a fighting Irish fan. Um, it's a Blackthorn Oak Club. Uh, he also brought that home from uh, Ireland. Uh, Notre Dame holds that one. That's not all that interesting to me. Michigan State's kind of interesting. It has that megaphone trophy, rags, you know, yep. half, uh, what is it, half green and half blue. Um, and, and so... Uh, that goes back and forth. Notre Dame holds that one as well. That's been around since 1949, so that's kind of cool. Um, and then th- that was sort of interesting because in 2005, um, there, was a, there was a big to-do because Michigan State won, and Notre Dame didn't have the megaphone out there to hand it over, and there was a little bit of a rhubarb. I don't think many people even knew about this thing uh, until the big fight after the 2005 game where we're trying to find that megaphone. So those are the ones that Notre Dame has. There used to be another one, Northwestern, um, it was another shillelagh, but that bad boy came up missing rags. So they just kind of, <laughs> they just kind of ditched that one. That that actually would be one that Notre Dame would not have. So uh, that's the legend of the legends trophy going into this weekend. And as we record this on Friday in San Francisco, they're having a luncheon out there with the trophy before it comes out here. Uh, so they do that, and then it comes over here. There's mass on Sunday, so they kind of build a whole weekend around it. It's kind of it's kind of cool stuff, but. 
the ultimate question is, uh, will we get the trophy back or will they keep it, Todd? The Notre Dame, uh, the five-and-a-half-point favor here at home, I think that might be a little high. I got them winning by three late. I, I like them 31-28. Okay, you, you like some points in this thing then. Yes, Notre Dame is actually looking for, this is pretty remarkable, Rags, we've been doing this show for a while, and this sort of snuck up on me, to be honest with you. Notre Dame is actually looking for its ninth straight win at home, uh, which would be, it's actually already is at eight straight wins, the third longest march, uh, the third longest mark streak since 1990. So that goes back quite a ways. They've done it twice uh, since 1990. Um, That was uh, 2011 through 13 and then 1997 through 1999. So Notre Dame's starting to control at home a little bit. It's about time because that wasn't going on much. And I think they do it again. I think they get to that night straight home win, but I think they do it 24-23. to 23. I think it's going to be another epic game in this series. I can't wait. And don't forget, if you're listening to us on uh, the radio and ESPN Fort Wayne right after this, it's the Fighting Irish Preview with Phil Hout and Tim Priester, of course. They're coming up next. Uh, we'll do it all over again next week. It was a lot of fun. Uh, D.O. McComb brings it to you. It's the Blue Gold Report podcast. Todd, let's go Irish. All right. Have a good weekend. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.